So You Think You Can Manage podcast. We are the So You Think You Can Manage podcast, and tonight, we're finally doing it for you. We think we can manage, and I have Biscuit and I have Andrew both with me tonight. It's a rarity so far in our short run. They're going to sit there and see which one of them has the correct opinion about our Philadelphia Phillies manager and Joe Girardi. Entering in this week, since last time we talked, uh, we are now 28-30. and 30 for a 483 win percentage, good for third in division, a half game out of second place behind Atlanta and four behind New York, uh, who is currently holding the first place spot in the NL East. We uh, got blown out by Cincinnati, and then we just responded with a ton of runs, and then Mother Nature said, fuck you, you can't play baseball again the next day. So we said, cool, no problem, and we had two days off in a row, bizarre. And we end up taking two out of three against Washington, a team that really is also kind of sputtering here. But a couple main things to talk about of the last two weeks. Again, we're recording these on, on Mondays, and at this point it seems like the consistent off day for our Philadelphia Phillies. But a couple things, we're going to start with it. Bryce Harper and JT Romero both back uh, within the last week uh, of one another. For a lineup that has just completely failed to find any type of offensive consistency, Andrew, I'm going to start with you here. What does the return of, of Bryce Harper and JT mean to this lineup from an offensive perspective? It's huge. I mean, we, we uh, Shane, we talked about it last week but with the amount of injuries this team has gone through, the amount of games that these starting lineups have had. In the month of May, the entire starting lineup, I mentioned this last week, the entire starting lineup outside of center field and pitching, obviously with the center field changing, but there's other seven positions that you expect to be there. We're only out there playing together twice in the month of May and haven't played together since May 7th. And they still haven't because we're still waiting for Didi Gregorius to come back. So getting those two guys is a tremendous step back. I mean, you saw it in the two games back already. You combined for 17 runs. So you've already seen, yes, I know Harper only had, I think he had one RBI, but just having him back in the lineup, you see the tremendous impact it has. It gives fear into the pitchers. It kind of sets up the other guys in the lineup as well to do what they have to do. So I think uh, it's going to go a long way. And I, I mentioned it last week, too, is the best thing for this team is to get healthy. Like, it's by far not over. We still have a lot of season left. And this is the first uh, step in that direction. Uh, and you, I mean, you're 2-0 since they came back. Obviously, a small sample size, but you had a winning record in the week as well. So I think this is going to go a long way for this team. And especially, right, it's basically the start of the summer here with, with these guys coming back. So they, now is where you want them to come back so you can take off. Yeah, and Biscuit, with each of them coming back, and again, limited bats at this point, um, you know, limited, limited fielding opportunities out there as well in some capacities. How do each of these guys kind of look to you coming back? Do they look like they were just ready to kind of step back in and what we have seen so far from the offense is something that we can begin to expect again? Or is this just, it's going to take a little bit of time for them each to kind of feel themselves back into this lineup in a successful manner? More importantly than if they look right now like they're about to get it really, you know, going like hot and heavy rolling they, they look healthy which i think right now is the most important thing look you you can't have what you had all throughout early may when it felt like you were just playing with a very short bench and every single guy each and every night was questionable um if people are hurt they they need to be resting they can't be put in in-game situations where they can't even swing the bat or can't even throw a baseball um so most importantly the, the fact that these guys are right are huge and i'll even go as far as to say that um yeah i, I think they look ready you saw um uh you know 
Harper had a big night the other night, had a few clutch hits. Hoskins obviously had the big three-run home run, kind of put that game out of reach uh, last night with the Washington Nationals. So, look, you're already seeing the effect those guys have on that lineup. And to Andrew's point, it makes everyone just so much better with how deeper that lineup looks. Like, it looks... You know, having having Hoskins been what Hoskins has been so far is huge. And there have been standouts like Ronald Torres. And look, I know it's not fun to talk about, but Odubel has been pretty good, especially at the dish. Um, As good as it is to kind of have those guys step up and produce, you need your Bryce Harper. You need your JT Romuto. You don't thrive without those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it's go time. I do think they're ready to hit the ground running. Um, and then to Andrew's point even further, once Didi gets back, you might see some semblance of this team really starting to get back on track. Well, that's definitely going to be the hope, you know, and, and as both you both of you have alluded to, you know, sitting here and, and discussing what this lineup looks like and how pitchers have to now pitch them just with the presence of those two back. And then again, if and when Didi does return and, and if he can find some semblance of what he was in his first year here or more specifically what he was in New York for those several years there, um, it, it could spell some real success for, for this offense. And that's something that we, again, sorely need at this point. And, and we'll, we'll get to it in a bit here. Um, but we're going to need all the runs we can have with, with a bullpen that is looking as inconsistent as it's looked really what feels like forever at this point. Or it feels like the, the oof, it is a nightmare to watch this team come the sixth, seventh inning. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, you know, some nights they, they look great and you win. Other nights they look horrendous and you lose. And then there are some nights that they, they just they literally look like position players out there on the mound. It's bizarre. Um, you know, so the offense getting right, you know, especially getting right here in the summer is ultimately going to make the front office's job clearer for us. Will they be buyers? Will they be sellers? Um, but let's step aside, you know, out of the offense for, for just a moment. We'll go to uh, a guy who over the last couple of weeks, we've had to sit there and say, you know, Ace Vinny, Vinny Velo, he's the guy, you know, who the hell knew that this was going to be. Uh, you know, sorry, I'm getting text messages right now about the Women's College World Series, and I get all distracted for a moment because we are recording during that. And if you do not watch that, you really should make a point to it. It's awesome. But uh, Vince Velasquez, over the last two starts, sorry, uh, has kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Um, you know, I had the real, real tough and short outing a couple weeks ago, uh, and then just the other day, um, worked himself out of some stuff, but didn't look like the guy who had put together six straight starts with an ERA under two and a half. Um, is Vinny kind of regressing to what we believed he was going to be all along? You have any long-term concerns with him? Or are you pretty cool with him just being in the fifth spot and getting whatever you're getting at this point, Biscuit? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Look, You've never – that's probably the most prolonged success Vince Velasquez has ever even had in the majors. And if that's what he's going to do every once in a while as a fifth starter, literally as the fifth starter, um, I'll, I'll take that. It's been better than anything Chase Anderson or Matt Moore have, you know, sprung out so far. Spencer Howard's really not proved yet that he can hold his own as one of the mainstays in this rotation. So you need Vinny to still kind of be consistent in that regard. And um, look – you're going to run into these types of outings. He's going to go through these stretches. He's not, you know, he's no Nola. He's no ace. He's just 
a mediocre, subpar, number four, number five pitcher. And that's fine because it's more than what you would get out of the guys who were, you know, brought on to this team to do that kind of thing. And, um, you know, like I said, with the inconsistency that you've seen from guys like Spencer Howard, um, if this is Vinny and this is his ceiling, that that's still fine with me. Yeah, I'm kind of in that that same way. Andrew, how are you feeling with Vince Velasquez at this point? You know, we've talked to him at nauseum. Is he a bullpen guy? Is he a fifth starter? And and I think we've all kind of come to the place that Biscuit is at. Is that where you're at as well? Fifth starter, Vinny, if this is what you're getting, that's acceptable? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is acceptable. I mean, like Biscuit said, it's better than what you were getting in the early parts of the season. I think in uh, his previous game this past Sunday, I think he could have went five or six innings. He had a spot there. I think the bases were loaded. I forget. I think it was. I forget if it was zero or one out in the situation, but they pitch hit for him. So I think it's a spot there where he tried to trade it for runs, which ended up going through for a seven-run inning. So I think that that happened there again. He could have went five or six. Obviously, we all know his history. Girardi knows his history. The team knows his history. So that's why you're not hesitating to pull him in that situation as you're trying to add on the runs, which have come been pretty hard to get for this team so i think that's where you saw that so in terms of vince i mean again he's striking out guys at a, at a pretty good rate he's got 52 strikeouts and in 43 innings so i think that's a, a good sign from him i think his command hasn't been there as much as it was in his uh in his in his starts where he was pitching really well the last two he's he hasn't been doing as well uh command wise i think at least in my opinion and again that cincinnati team he ran into a hot cincinnati team unfortunately a team they know how to score runs for. They just they have trouble pitching right now, and they know how to score. They're they're a seven and three in the last ten, so he just kind of ran into them at the wrong time as well. So I, I think uh, I'm fine with running Vince out there at least to the deadline. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think without question you're going to have to either fill Howard's spot or Vince's spot, which I mean, and I think we'd all agree at this point you're probably going to replace Howard right now because if you're going to actually be a true contender, I don't think you can keep running out. Um, Howard and Vince for only three or four innings and then going to the bullpen back-to-back nights like that. Yeah, it does seem like they've kind of put together that piggyback type of thing right now with, with Howard and, and Suarez, um, which if you're getting six-plus six innings out of the two arms there, it's not the worst thing. But, you know, again, Suarez so far this year has been um, a real bright spot in, in a pen that has shown so few. I don't know that you want to tie him to just a specific day and a specific situation to – kind of take back the, the Spencer Howard thing. Um, Spencer Howard, by the way, that's a topic we are going to get into uh, on another podcast because at this point we've had you know conversations just in our, our group text right now about who and what Spencer Howard is and what has happened to him um, over the last couple of years and, and the concerns that we may have and what his long-term role may be. Again, that's, that's a conversation we will have for, for another time. Um, but uh, so Vince Velasco is also part of a, a pretty scary situation uh, this weekend when Austin Voth um, to, is squaring around a bunt and gets hit in the face by a Vince Velasquez fastball. Um, now, we do see it for for pitchers as well. It's it's ordinarily you'll see it for for the hitter, the person on that side who who takes that that pitch to you know to the head or face or, or anything like that. A hesitancy when they get back into the box. Do you have any concerns, Biscuit, with Vince Velasquez stepping back out on the hill and pitching confidently inside again? It's a weird thing. I mean, he looked bad in the box. Vince Velasquez is a decent hitting pitcher. And that very next at bat when he, you know, apologized to the catcher there, 
I mean, he, he was ass out swinging the whole time. Like he didn't know if there was retaliation coming, which means to me, like there's a mental aspect of him sitting there and saying, all right, I know what just happened. Do you have any long-term concerns with him getting back onto the hill and, and confidently pitching on the inside or inner third part of the plate? I mean, the whole type of situation's scary. You, you know, for for the guy on the mound, like, no one wants to pluck someone in the head. No one wants to do that. So the fact that they, you know, make that mistake and potentially harm someone in a in what could be a life-threatening way, uh, of course, and with how baseball is, like you've seen it in the Mets and the Phillies series with, you know, guys getting thrown at up and in and there being some, you know, yelling between the dugouts and whatnot, like, it, it is it is sensitive and it's... A, you know, something that does engulf emotion like that, which I, you know, don't, I, I completely understand. I completely understand why. But then you also think about the guy in the batter's box getting hit as well and what they're going through. It's, it, it's awful and it's scary. So I feel for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question with pictures specifically, um, it, it's got to be nerve wracking. And then you're right. Then you, you know, you make this mistake. And just because of that, am I going to get beaten now? Should I duck and cover? Um, it, it, it's scary to see the impact it's having on the game today, but yeah, it, it's frightening. Yeah, it truly is. You know, and, and Andrew, I mean, you're, you're a guy who's in sports media. I just want to transition here just a, a bit. Is there anyone on the planet worse at commentating than Mike Schmidt? <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> Ben Davis is like an unlikable human, but like by all accounts, like he is at least mildly respectable in terms of what he brings to the booth. I don't lie to the audience. I can't. Anyone who's listened to anything from me, but Mike Schmidt is atrocious. And when talking and discussing about that, I was just brought back to the Michael Franco era of him (laughs) saying that he's for sure an MVP candidate in his book. Like, (laughs) how just disassociated from reality this man may be. Honestly, the three years of the perennial, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the three years of the perennial MVP talk for Mikel Franco, um, I think that's what... My, from Michael, from from Michael Franco, that is what my that's my purgatory. That's what like that's my <laughs> when, when I'm in between heaven and hell. That's what my life's gonna be like for eternity. Uh, no, it's it's brutal. I, I I'm with you, Shane, and we've talked about it. I think in the past too, and I feel bad for Tom McCarthy. And obviously, so he's, that, he's never gonna say anything. But like I continue to say, like people rip on McCarthy all the time, and I think he's really good. Actually, so I think why? he just needs a good color guy with him and. And whether it's, I mean, I, I don't mind John Cruck there. Obviously, Cruck can turn it into more of a, a comedy. He tries to at times, it seems like, than, than actually calling the game sometimes. But in terms of he's got to deal with Mike Schmidt and Ben Davis at times, it, it's a rough go around for him. And I'm not going to lie, more times than not, I honestly turn on uh, Scott Fransky because I, I pay for LMB TV and you can audio overlay it, sync it that way. So that's what I honestly do more times than not just because nothing against McCarthy, but it's the better listen to listening to France in LA, especially in home games. They're all awesome. <laughs> Biscuit. Are you raising your hand or are you just touching a snowflake on your screen? <laughs> I'm actually, my hands up on the wall, but to add on here, um, yeah, I've actually, Andrew been doing the same thing lately with tuning into, um, Fransky in LA. Um, I, I, I don't like Mike Schmidt. Like, I don't care for him. And I think that's primarily because, like, he was just, you know, it's not my era of baseball. Like, I don't have some sentimental attachment to him. But also, I, I think he's kind of an asshat. And I don't <laughs> like him. I don't like him in the booth really at all. Uh, ben Davis, he sucks as well. I do like Kruk, but to your point, Andrew, 
Kruk can be a buffoon sometimes, which can be fun because I'm a buffoon too. But sometimes when you're, you know, really deep into a game and there's a joke, it kind of, you know, eases some of the tension that's been building up. I don't know. I don't think – and you're right. T-Mac's great, but with some of the other guys, it's never like a smooth, like enjoyable, like, you know, classic baseball listen. Um, but but I do think you – you know, T-Mac really holds that glue together there. Yeah, my last, my last thing on the announcement real quick before we move on. I really like uh, if they ever went with Jimmy Rollins long term. I think I'd be fine with that. Like I always liked what he did with TBS. The few games he's done, I think he's done a very nice job. So I would not be opposed to bringing uh, Jerry on there with T Mac. He is so much better if he's not discussing the Philadelphia Phillies. Like if he is covering a game, not that's fair. The Phillies, I can listen <laughs> to him. I'm. St- I don't even think he's good, but like he's acceptable. Listening to him talk about the Phillies is just painful. Um. I think it's really tough to bring bring ex players and ex beloved players back in here to to kind of discuss in that particular manner, um, especially one as as colorful as Jimmy Rollins was. Um, you know, he seems to exercise some of that colorfulness and uh, in, in the personality that made him a clubhouse and fan favorite into the booth. And to Biscuit's point, sometimes you got to let this game breathe and you, and you got to bring some actual baseball to this thing, um, not so much comedy and not so much relatability to fans at times um but that's a lot on on commentating and stuff so let's kick it back to baseball for just one last point before we get into the great Girardi debate tonight um the gotta get to smoke andrew so yes i'm ready i'm I ready so, i so wish no, you're not not. this entire time because biscuits just been <laughs> sitting here talking for like 45 straight minutes <laughs> waiting for andrew to get on the mic just pacing around in his room just losing his mind he didn't want the smoke he didn't want the guy to smoke um <laughs> But we'll go to the bullpen before we hit Girardi. Um, and uh, look, this is a conversation. We'll stick to this year, but it's it's a conversation that certainly extends beyond this year. Um, pieces who are, by all accounts, very talented and have a, a long history of success in this game, in this position. They come to Philadelphia and that success just wanes away. And I don't know if it's the pressure of this city. Um Maybe the way the mound is is built up there and, and the way that our starters prefer that mound, whether it's a softer or harder landing spot, maybe that makes it a little difficult for these guys to pitch. For whatever reason, these guys are not having the kind of success that we anticipated. Um, the one wild card that we knew coming in was a wild card. Is if he could find the strike zone on a consistent basis, he was going to be a lights-out guy. Alvarado, when he finds the strike zone, is a pretty damn good pitcher, but it's a wild ride. My God, I don't think he's ever going to throw less than 30 pitches in an inning. So my question here, Andrew, is when evaluating this entire pen, there are guys that that not only have sentimental value in any capacity to what we are as Philadelphia Phillies fans, and we want to see these particular pieces succeed or, or mean something here, but, but around the game of baseball. Um, and it's weird to talk that way for relievers, but there are respected veteran relievers. At a certain point, these are guys that may need to not be here because they are actively hurting us more times than not out there in the hill. Simply, who deserves to be here at this point? I think first off uh, is Hector Neris. Obviously, I think he's having one of his best best years in the majors. I'm actually pretty pleased the way he's taken over the closer role this year. He's sitting at a 190 ERA, which is very good for him, especially. He's 9-11 in save opportunities. So, again... 
I know a lot of people, it seems like the fan base is split on theirs. I'm all for Hector still. Um, he's actually doing better than I thought he would at the closer role. We'll see what he continues to do. Like you mentioned, I, I think Jose Alvarado, he deserves a spot on this uh, on this lineup or in the bullpen. He's He seems to have found it as of late. He's, he's given up, uh, he's had 10 out of his last 12 outings have been scoreless. So it seems like he's starting to figure things out. Connor Brogdon, I mean, his ERA looks bad, but he only really had that one bad bad outing, it feels like. I know he's given up a run a couple times here and there, but he had that one bad outing where he gave up, what, four or five runs that one time. That really skyrocketed his ERA. When Girardi, when Girardi let him out there to dry. When, <laughs> excuse me. When, when Girardi let him out there, when he was clearly gassed, and Girardi just kept him out there to give up six runs and blow a winnable game against Gabe Kapler's Giants. But that's what you've wanted the whole time is a high leverage situation without David Hale. That was that was a chance. <laughs> oh, <fucking hate> you. <laughs> oh, Andrew. But uh, in all honesty, the the one guy I've been really disappointed in because I I was really excited when they signed him is Brandon Kitzler. Like he, yep. he I thought. I thought that deal was a, a steal at the time when they, they got him. I thought he was going to come in and pitch really well. And he's up to an 8-5 ERA through 20 outings, giving up 18 runs in 18 runs in 18 innings. So obviously not good. So we'll see how long, how much longer he has. But I think to your point, I think he is a respected guy. So I think he's going to have a little longer than a lot of other guys would have had. Like if this is if this was say Connor Brogdon or Sam Coonrod who had who's been pitching like he has, I bet you he wouldn't have been here. But I think because of his name, it is giving him a little bit longer here. So we'll see what that happens. And even Archie Bradley, he struggled before uh, going on the IL, but since he came back, he seems to have found a little bit of a rhythm. He's on three straight outings without a run. So I really think the bullpen's starting to turn the corner here for the majority, like the main guys. I think uh, it's been a very nice week for him here in this past uh, week. So I think hopefully they start to go. So the really the main guy I kick out is Brandon Kitzler and then probably David Hale as well. But at this point, I mean, you probably keep David Hale over Chase Anderson and Matt Moore. So looking at those two guys, you would probably be those two first. But outside of Kitzler, Moore, and Anderson, I'd say this bullpen is they probably all deserve a spot here because you can't just call up random guys. So. We're going to use this to transition over, and we're going to let Biscuit open this thing up. We are going to kind of formulate this almost so like a political debate, because I, I do want them to play as, as unfair and as dirty as possible. Um, and let's face it, that is the two-party system here in America. So we're going to roll with it here, <laughs> so you think you can manage. So Biscuit, with the 23rd-ranked bullpen, I want you to discuss your position and your confidence on Joe Girardi's role in this bullpen having bottom third numbers in the MLB. Yeah, he doesn't know how to use a fucking bullpen. <laughs> I mean, that look, look, Connor Brogdon won't, wouldn't even have an earned run average over four right now if it wasn't for Joe Girardi. Like, I honestly think a lot of, like, I honestly, I like our bullpen, and I think our bullpen's been pretty solid so far, and I think you have about five or six guys now who you can turn to, who can consistently get outs, and that does include Jose Alvarado, even though it is a wild time. But, like, you look at some of these other guys, like Kinsler and how David Hale's been used. Oh, God, how David Hale's been used. Um, You know, a lot of these guys are really flat, Not excuse me, driving up our collective earned run average as a bullpen because they've just been so shitty. Um, But 
Girardi doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. And um, I shall provide uh, some examples. (laughs) (laughs) On 425 in the city of Denver, Colorado, Joe Girardi brings in David Hale. I forget the situation, but it's early enough in the game to where you could go to literally like anyone else. It's a high leverage situation, close game. You know, get someone who could get the outs in there and try to win us a fucking ball game. Girardi said no. Brings in David Hale. Trevor Story gives up a grand slam. Phillies lose the game. In the same game, in the same game, he brings in Spencer Howard, one of our top starting pitching prospects, into a mop-up role so we can go in there and mop up a sloppy Phillies defeat after they've already gotten clobbered. And then he starts getting shelled, and Girardi just leaves him in there. San Francisco, a few weeks back. or not? No, no, not even a few weeks. It was the series before. <laughs> Leaving Brogdon in there, I'm pretty sure gives up two three-run home runs. One cost them the lead, and then the other one cost them the game. Because if they took out Brogdon after the first three-run home run, they would came back and scored the runs. They would have won the game again. But instead, Girardi's like, no, he clearly doesn't have it tonight. Go fucking rock him. Take the win, Gabe. <laughs> Toronto Toronto 516 Similar situation to the first one I brought up You had that game, it's early Sure they're scoring a few runs But it's early in the fucking ball game And not for nothing, you're supposed to have a top 5 offense in baseball Don't throw the game away in the second fucking inning, Joe And bring in David fucking Hale To let them score 7 fucking runs <laughs> Don't be afraid to use a guy that's good in a high-leverage situation. That's how you win ball games. I have a verdict. <laughs> Joe Girardi, and I, I literally wrote this in my notes, Joe Girardi is clueless on how to use people in certain roles in the bullpen. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> First of all, the energy there is just accurate and brilliant. And I so wish that we were screen recording right now and, and live on Twitter because everyone deserved to see all of the, the mannerisms that, that accompanied that brilliant argument there from Biscuit's side. But we do still have another side of this argument, another side that's waiting to challenge the legitimacy of the points that were just brought up. The wrong bring side, up a few of his way, own. But... Again, 23rd ranked bullpen, Andrew, brought up by a lot of different points here in terms of the way that these pieces are used. What is your position and confidence on Joe Girardi and his role on this bottom third bullpen. Listen, I, I have confidence in Joe Girardi that for multiple reasons. You look at what he's done with this bullpen. You mentioned David Hale. David Hale has the sixth most or sixth, yeah, sixth most appearances out of this bullpen. Six most. He's only thrown in 13 games this year. Archie Bradley's at 12 with missing a ton of time this year. It's not like he's out there using David Hale every day. Like you look at, you want to look at Connor Brogdon. He's at, he's got 11 more appearances than David Hale does. He uses Brogdon in those high leverage situations. You wanted him in the high leverage situation, and he and he failed at it. He, he had a bad game against the Giants, and one bad game. Yeah, but he used that high leverage situation. That, that so he's gonna go to turn to somebody else after that. The Toronto game and, was and after all, the Toronto game. The Toronto game. The to Toronto game, game was after the Giants. Uh, Biscuit, Toronto, we're have to let him speak. <laughs> the Toronto game was after the Sorry, Giants game. Wallace. So you're gonna you're gonna mix it up there, and you're gonna have somebody else go out there. 
Connor Brogdon has been one of your best relievers at the time. Of course, you're going to try to let him get out of that situation. You're in the month of you're in the month of April at the time. That's the time to try to let a young guy go. And same with Spencer Howard. Of course, you're going to use him in a game that that's a blowout at that point. They're trying to get Howard back on track. You're going to use him in a blowout where if he gives up a few runs or two, it's not going to hurt the game at that point. Spencer like that, that's what, what do you want to do? He's a top, he's a top prospect. He's not a journeyman who you don't know what he's going to be in the major leagues. He's supposed to be a star for this team. And but I don't, he's not I a top think prospect it, anymore. He can't go more than two innings, two, three innings anymore. That's what they're trying to find out what, what role he has on the team right now. His velocity isn't, isn't up right now. So you're trying to find it. So what better way to try to get him confidence in a blowout situation where you hope he can get, get a few guys out and not give up any runs like that that's the time do you want him to go out there and use Hector Neris in a 8 to 2 game? Do you want him to go out there and use Jose Alvarado in an 8 to 2 game? No, that's when I want him to use fucking David Hale, not when it's the second inning and they're only down by one or two runs and David Hale's the it's like a life or death so, situation. So so let me ask you this, you want him to go out there and use Jose Alvarado in the 4th inning, so now using David Hale with the bases loaded situation in the 7th or 8th inning? If I'll put it to you this way, Andrew, if the bases are loaded and you need one or two outs and it's early enough in the game, I'd rather you use up one of your high leverage or big arms in the bullpen and then let David Hale go in an inning where, I don't know, maybe the bases aren't loaded or where you're not going to face the, the heart of their order or something like that. It's, it's just an asinine decision to go with there. And yes, I'm totally fine if you blow a guy who's really good early in a game. If it means you're going to win the game, but then no, you don't win the game. You blow the fucking game open. So even if the offense does score five to ten runs, it doesn't even matter. So, yes, I would not mind at all if Joe Girardi bucked up and said, okay, you know what? We're down early. We're taking our fucking shit starter out of the game. Hey, Sam Coonrod. Hey, Jose. Go fucking lock this shit down. Keep us in the game. We'll worry about it from there. No, not play a long game where you bring in Bozo Hale in and then you're down by seven runs and now you just have to clean, clean, uh, dig yourself out of a hole. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's poor strategy. But it's not like you're not. Why would you use in the fourth inning? Chase Anderson in that, in that Rockies game. There's three and two thirds. You bring David Halen for one out. If you bring in Jose Alvarado, your best reliever in that situation, gets one out. He's done for the rest of the game now. So now you're going to have to use Spencer Howard after that anyway. He's going to give up those three runs, and you're going to end up being in, a, in the same situation. And then you have to go to David Hale in the eighth inning. Look, did it did it stop them? And then from, you know, did, 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 did it does it stop the bleeding? Does it save them in that moment? Go for it, because you know because you know the outcome here. You know what happens. You know David Hale comes in and blows the game. Even if Jose Alvarado only gets one out, if it keeps them at a you know four two lead or something, that game's still so winnable for the Phillies, and you know that. But if you go to David Hale there and you give up five, six, seven runs. It's, it's over. And it doesn't matter what inning Jose Alvarado could come in because he's not going to be used that game because the game's already lost. We lost the game. And I think, you know, in this era with how bullpens are managed, you kind of need to be aggressive with that. So we're going to cut that one now. We're going to go on to the next question. Each party has had their opportunity to sit here and give their perspective views on Joe Girardi and the handling of the bullpen. We're going to move on to lineup construction. Lineup construction is critical when managing players' strumps, strumps, slumps, <laughs> injuries, and statistical advantages for all major league teams. The Phillies have dealt with more than their share of injuries. We have all talked about that at nauseum. Let's get 
we're going to start with Andrew on this one. We started with Biscuit last time, who was just on absolute fire or ice, whichever way we decided to talk about this earlier. I can't recall. So, Andrew, how much confidence do you have in Joe Girardi making the correct lineup decisions night in and night out before the first pitch is even thrown? Again, I don't see where where his issues have come in this year. You, you look at the what he's dealt with. You've lost basically every single starter at some point in this season due to an injury. So they've already ran as deep as possible on this bench. He's mixed with the lineup left and right already this season. And we've had countless amount of different lineups. You've dealt with five center fielders already this year. You've dealt with three different shortstops already this year. You've dealt with multiple second basements this year. You already ran through the Nick Maytown experiment. He ran him out there as long as possible before he couldn't hit the ball anymore. It's like what I don't know what else Girardi's supposed to do at this point. Like at some point, this is where to me it's funny. Like people focus more about the manager than the actual players. Like the the manager can only do so much. And you look at the, the, what he's done the, uh, on the uh, strategy side of things. The Phillies have saved. As bad as the defense have been in shifts where Girardi's positioning them, they've saved 10 runs so far, which is up there for, in the top half of the league. So he's actually having good shifts uh, playing that side of the defense. Obviously, he can't go out there and field, so the errors and misread balls, there's nothing he can do about that. And then again, the lineup, he, he's doing what he can. He's mixing them up. I mean, you look at where Hoskins is batted. He's batted anywhere from two, three, four, five already this year. You look at Alec Bohm, he's hitting almost like from three to seven range at this point, McCutcheon has been bouncing around the, the lineup at this point. So, I mean, Girardi's doing what he's, what he can with this lineup. I mean, he's been put in a tough spot where all these guys have been hurt and he's going out there trying to find the best lineup for them each day and, and each night. And he's seems to found one here with Herrera at the top of the order. Again, like biscuit mentioned or yeah, biscuit mentioned earlier in this podcast, as much as you don't want to talk about it, it looks like he's found this, the best spot for Herrera to bat as Herrera's, been actually hitting hitting pretty well. If you take out outside the 0 for 12 uh, start he's had, he's hitting 323 since then. So he's been a, a very nice hitter there. So, uh, I mean, he's getting what he can out of these players. And now that you get the lineup back, I think you're going to see this team take off. Biscuit, your response to that? I'll be honest. Um, I, I, I do agree with some of what you said, Andrew. Uh, the lineup construction in theory, doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, my, my big critique with that is that he did ultimately end up... W- what happened was there were things in the le- were happening in the lineup that I think were going on for far too long. For example, Kutch in the leadoff spot. And I think, to your point, Andrew, yes, he's now changing up the lineup, but to me it feels like, okay, now I just need to find some semblance that really works. And I don't think Girardi really knows it. And that's that's fine. If he needs to figure it out, because experimenting is the only thing you could really do to figure it out. But I don't think he knows the best place to hit those guys. Or I should say he didn't know. He is starting to kind of get into a group with some guys, you know, locking them back in. Like, it seems like Hoskins is going to be in the fourth spot for the time being. Odubel in the um, in the leadoff spot. So, no, um, it, it doesn't bother me too, too much in that regard. But to go to, you know... Making the lineup is not the only thing that comes into in-game and game day decision makings. And, um, you know, I alluded to catching the leadoff spot for far too long. Um, Double switches, you know, we've talked about it multiple times. They've been better as of late. But when you're double switching every single night to the point where you need someone to come off the bat and give you a good at-bat to try to win you a ball game and you have nothing, that's a problem. 
that means you are double switching far too much and it's excessive and unnecessary. Um, In-game decision making, why the hell would you let Bryce Harper coming to a ball game like that? Like, I don't care if he was trying to force himself in or if he was telling you that he could play. If you knew he was not healthy, you have to stand your fucking ground there, man. Like, I'm sorry. You should. That, that is like manager malpractice to me. Um, but if, if the train, if the trainer and Harper say they're he's good to go, like that's not on Girardi. You don't know what you don't know what was said I, behind doors. I get, I get that, Andrew. I get that. But he didn't. Everyone, everyone in their blind grandma knew he wasn't right. It wasn't right. So that just that, that just says something to me. Um, how about earlier in the season when it felt like Matt Joyce was getting every ounce of playing time over Brad Miller? That really busted my khakis too. Um, something I thought about earlier that Girardi did that pissed me off. And um, let's be real, you brought up Nick Maton, and sure he was getting a little cold around the time Girardi stopped playing him, but he was hitting pretty well too, and he certainly didn't get a fair shot down the road to kind of get himself back on track because he was not getting playing time, which honestly behooves me because I get Bohm supposed to be your star. But when my man's hitting 207, I don't care if you need to give him two or three days. Let Maton come back in the game. Figure out what he is. If Torres is still the hot bat, I don't mind riding a hot bat. Like, I, I completely get that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But you have a guy like Nick Maton who proved he could, you know, be a dude in some capacity, and you need to figure out what that is. And you completely shut that down. It was the same thing with Adam Hazley last season. So just his refusal to play young guys is really just baffling. And I think maybe that's because it is contention time. It isn't the time to figure out who or what guys are. So I do have, I guess, some excuse for Joe Girardi in that in that sense. But for God's sakes, dude, when this lineup's struggling like it is, and you had someone who not only also plays good defense because Alec Bohm is an atrocious third baseman, it, it, it does, you know, it does beg the question, like, why aren't you starting Torres and Maton on the uh, on the um, left side of the infield like that when Bohm is clearly not doing anything right right now. And I, I agree you need to get him right and he needs to get that playing time, but there's nothing wrong with letting him sit for two and three uh, for two or three days and letting Maton get some time. Andrew, you have any response to that before we move to the next? I would just say, like, Maton had his chance, though. Like, it's just, he went in a slump. Like, you're going to go with the guy, that the like you mentioned with Spencer Howard. Alec Bohm is supposed to be the prospect. He's supposed to be the guy. You're going you're gonna to ride that guy. I mean... Maton had his opportunity. He fell down back to earth. He was hitting 143 in his last 15 games. He was hitting 200 in his last 30 games. So it's not like he wasn't getting getting chances. He just he wasn't he wasn't providing. And it was fun watching him. Uh, it it kind of reminded me of Phil Gosselin. It was watching. It was fun watching him hit the ball when he was. But when he came back down to earth, it, it was back down to earth. And now give him the time that at bats back in AAA. I, I get that. I, I I do get that. But just to go back there. You know what Ronald Torres is, though. Like, you know the player he is, and you know that success is not going to be prolonged. You don't know what that's going to be like for Nick Maton. He's a rookie. He's just coming up. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that if you're, you know, still trying to figure out what you are at the major league level, especially at that young age, you should be playing as much as you feasibly can or will be allowed to play. And I just don't think Girardi was allowing him that ample time. And that's why I'm fine with him going back down to AAA. But Girardi can stump people's development like that. You know what Ronald Torres is. And honestly, to be frankly honest, I, I don't see this. I, I get everyone wants this team to be in contention mode, but it's clearly not. Um, so I, I, I don't mind someone, if he's a rookie, he's scuffling a little bit, getting some extra time over a veteran who you already know what you're going to get from him. 
So that's where we disagree. This team is in contention mode, and you were so desperate for offense that you needed the hot bat, and Ronald Trey is out there. Sure. If you think this team's in contention, I'll believe it when we're 10 games over 500 and um, comfortably in the division or wild card race, which we're not right now. Well, we are in the division race. Andrew. <laughs> we are. All right. Andrew. We have we have two more questions left for you guys here. Two more debate topics. Uh, so, Biscuit, I'm going to start here with, with you on this one. So much has been made of, of the way that Joe Girardi has handled the media this year and handled now information and how that gets to gets through and presented to the media. In today's game, in today's world, where social media and you know connectability is so, so critical, do you have a problem with the way that Girardi is deciding to go about this? Do you, do you think this is overblown in any capacity? What is your, your perception at this point? on Joe Girardi and that aspect of his job. I think back to Joe Girardi's opening press conference when he first uh, when he first came aboard with the Phillies and said that he wasn't going to do as much storytelling as the previous manager did and has gone on to literally lie to everyone's <laughs> face and then proceeded to get pissed off about it. Yeah, Joe Girardi's been a dick to the media, and I'm sorry, but they're just literally trying to do their job. And if you don't want to get hounded about things that you clearly don't want to talk about, I don't know, maybe maybe clean up your clubhouse, Joe, because clearly you don't have a good fucking grasp on it right now. Um, sure, you, we'll go right to it, the Segura incident. Um, look, it, it's ugly. It happens. It's baseball. People are going to have disagreements. I'm not so mad about the situation and how it unfolded, but look, it was a situation. Don't be a dick when people ask you questions about it. Just sit there. Say you're not going to respond. Don't throw a fucking pissy fit to Jim Salisbury. For he just said it multiple times. Job. Oh, well. And then he had a fucking attitude about it. Get over it. Get over it. Um, yeah, so he lied. And then he got <laughs> caught for lying when it comes to Harper. And then he got even more mad that he got caught lying and then threw another hissy fit to the media and made it seem like it was their fucking fault for just trying to do their jobs <laughs> with their their competitive strategy. I can't let you know who's in and who's out tonight, who's available, who's not, because it might, you know, the other teams, they're going to get this oh so competitive event. Like, I, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. And sure, I, I do see... I do see the point he's trying to make, but in this day and age, I just, I, I just don't think it's fucking necessary. It's not, you know, like base. It's not like Cold War baseball where everything needs to be kept under wraps. Whoever you have available, there's some guy on that team in their bullpen or in that rotation who they're going to try to use to get you out. Whether it's a guy that's going to work or not, everyone has a team structured like that nowadays. Like I, I, I just think it's stupid. So the fact that you make this whole fucking thing, throw a tantrum at, at the media, then then lie about Harper, and then throw another tantrum because you were called out for lying, like clean it up, Joe. You said no storytelling, and here you fucking go, really just BSing us. So, uh, yeah, I think it's not overblown. I think it's an issue. Clean it the fuck up, man. You were literally in New York, one of the toughest media markets, if not tougher, it, it, tougher than Philly, perhaps. Like, come on, man. Figure it out. Figure it out. It's it, it's sloppy. And you know what it also shows me? It shows me that, he's, you know, he's losing his grip on this fucking team. He's really losing his edge. And um, it, it, it's a bad look. It's a really fucking bad look. It's a lot of words. 
That was a hell of a storytelling expedition gone on by Biscuit there. Andrew, what is your response to that? Well, first, I completely disagree. This is a million percent overblown. No, this it's happens. Not. This happens to every coach every season. Girardi's done it before with New York. He's been the, in the same situation before when he took out when he took out his reliever in New York against the Red Sox, and they they questioned him on that, and he said the same exact thing. Basically, I don't owe it to tell you why I made that strategy strategy move. He said the same thing. You have Doc Rivers going off on the media the other day with the Sixers at D-line. I mean, you don't see anyone talking about that. It's just The difference is when you're losing, it's overblown. When you're winning, nobody cares. Doc Rivers, no one talked about it the next day. That's the difference right now. And Girardi, for whatever reason, has been hated all year since, since coming into the season. Again, I think it's overblown for multiple reasons. In the end, like... What has he done since those comments? He still went out and spoke to the media. He still told you the same exact stuff. Have you sat here once and been like, man, I wish he gave me more information? Because I, I honestly have not. Since those comments, I've not ever been like, oh, man, I wish he was giving me more information. You still know who's available for the game. You still see the lineup card every day. Okay, this guy's not playing, so he's getting the day off. He's, he's not going to be available. You see Alvarado throw two or three days in a row. You know he's not going to be available the next day. Like, it's not rocket science to figure out who's available and who's not. Like again, and this is who Girardi's then why been. Why lie about it? Then why lie about it? Why lie about what? Why, why lie? Oh, Harper, Harper is available. Harper's not available. Like why fucking lie about it? Just say he needs to go on the injured list if that's what's going to happen. Because the team was clearly the team was clearly trying to avoid the injured list. They they didn't think whether it was the trainers, whether it was Girardi. We don't know who it was, but for whatever reason, they were trying to avoid it, avoid the IL form. So he's if the trainers are sitting there telling him he doesn't have to go on the IL just yet, then you're not going to put him on there. Whether he looks bad or not, you're going to follow what the trainers are telling you. And also to, to your point about Doc Rivers, if I'm not mistaken, he got to, he got PO'd after someone asked him a question about Ben Simmons's performance. Am I, I you know me? I'm not a Sixers guy. Am I wrong or right about that? No, it was yeah. You're right. So it was about his performance and and why why he didn't consider benching him at, at a certain spot in the game. Okay. The same thing, a strategy We're, move. N- no, it's, it's, it's not a strategy move because he was coming out to defend his player. Joe Girardi needed to speak up for himself there. And instead of holding himself accountable, he just bitched. He no, he was, protect, he was protecting Gene Segura and not throwing him under the bus because the last time he threw the players under the bus, which was actually the night before, so he did call him out like you want him to. It caused the problem. In the no, it's not that I. It's not that I want him to call him out. It's the fact that no, I spoke think the truth. Already. He spoke the truth there. It caused an issue in the locker room. So he's sitting there trying to avoid that issue the next night. So he's protecting his player. I just, I just don't think there's a reason to go about your business like that. And, and if he, besides the fact he was asked the question ten times before he went off on the media, he said, "I'm not." They're just doing their job. They're just doing their job, and they had a fiery explode. They had a fiery argument in the dugout. Of course, he's going to be asked about it. But by the just, time Jim Salisbury's the third guy to ask him about the question, they've already said he's not going to get into the issue and he's not going to comment on it. Jim, of course, you're going to get Jim get mad. Salisbury. If someone asks like you the Meryl same question Street three or four times in a row, aren't you going to get frustrated? Do not pop off on him. <laughs> I, and I, I'm not even. I get. I get. I made uh, made a joke there, but it's the fucking truth. Jim Salisbury is like the mouthpiece of Phillies baseball. Like, like the stories. You know, they write themselves with him. He, he's like an icon to me because he's. You know, he's the guy. When I think Phillies beat writers, those types of guy. He's like the Batman of them all to me. 
and show the guy some fucking respect. He's been in this town a long fucking time, much longer than you, Binder Joe. And um, <laughs> if he wants to ask you a fucking question, either answer him or politely fucking tell him that you're not going to talk to him about it. Which well, he did. Don't he did multiple times before Don't that. Don't Jimmy Jimmy boy him because that's fucking pathetic. Don't talk down on the guy. And that's what I felt like he did. All right, we're going to get to one final point here, and this is we're, we're going to give 60 seconds to each of you. For the love of God, let's try to make it a 60-second argument here. So we're going to go to Andrew first on this. What has Joe Girardi done in totality, not just this year, but the two years that he's been here, or the year and a half that he's been here? What has he done to completely, no questions asked, Earn your trust as a Philadelphia Phillies manager for tomorrow's game and going forward. First, I mean, if you look at some of the guys, you have Reese Hoskins. He fixed Hoskins since coming in here. Hoskins back on where he's he's been. Everyone was hating on him beforehand. Hoskins is having one of his best years these past two years. Kind of fixed him after Cap- Kapler left. You have Zach Wheeler doing the best he's done in his career. He's top three in a lot of different pitching categories now. Hector Neris is having a career year as well. So some guys are having uh, – their personal best uh, since Girardi's been here, so he's obviously having an impact on some of those guys. I'd say as well, I mean, there's no... If you look at all the injuries this team has gone through and you're still hovering around 500, putting yourself in a division race for when all these guys come back, I think that's impressive in itself. We've seen injuries derail multiple other teams, and I think that, again, that's a main reason why I still have faith in Joe Girardi. You look at when you're missing all those guys, when you're missing five of your best hitters at, at one point, and you're still right there around 500. That's impressive to me. And again, I don't hate the pitching moves he's made. I'm all for the double switches. So I like what he's done. And again, you look at, to me, he manages in a similar similar way to a lot of other guys. And you see it working on other teams. So to me, you need to get healthy. And I think you're really going to see the job he has done once these guys come back. If you had to put a percentage on it right now and the level of confidence you had, Andrew. Final note there. What is the percentage you would put? I'd probably give him about a B plus. So I'd say about 85 to 90%. All right. And Biscuit, you've supported the other side of this argument at this point where you have a lack of confidence in Joe (laughs) Girardi. Understatement. But yeah, um, just just to counter you real fast, Andrew, um, you, you can't. You can point to Girardi as the factor of the success when you're talking about guys like Hoskins, Wheeler. Um, he, like you could point to the coaching staff, but you can't really say that has any factor to do with Girardi. And sure, this team might still be in it by the graces of God just because they're right below 500. They can creep back up to that mark. But let's be real. This division sucks right now, and that's why the Phillies are still in it. If the Phillies are two games under 500 tonight, but the Mets Braves are both 10 games over, we're out of it by now, and we're fucked by now. And that's nothing to do with Girardi. It has everything to do with the fact that this division sucks. Now, to hit this baby home, Joe Girardi, the effective communicator, that is a lie. Joe Girardi saying that he's going to have this team ready to go, focused. This team doesn't even look like they know where they are. They look lost most nights. They are not ready to go. Storytelling. I'm not going to storytell. That is that is literally what Joe Girardi said. That is a lie. He is being caught lying. Everyone said Joe Girardi knows how to manage a bullpen. 
I don't fucking know, but no, he, he, he does not. I have no faith in Joe Girardi. He's not a difference maker, which is what everyone told me this guy was going to be. Everyone said Girardi the difference maker, but this team has literally looked worse since he got him. And you could point to some individual cases for players where they have gotten better and improved under Joe Girardi's management. However, as a team, this team has been below 500. They do not look nearly half as sharp as they were under Gabe. They can't even make routine fucking plays. Gene Segura, let's ball stuff. Because they're not focused, Andrew. They're not focused at all. I'll go a ball or throwing the ball away has nothing to do with Joe Girardi. McCutcheon it missing a ball left field. It has something to do when they're not fucking focused and their head's clearly not in the game. Travis Jankowski getting thrown out between second and third base by the catcher it just shows me that they're not focused. And you did not see these types of lapses under Gabe Kapler's regime. You just didn't. Did? They might not have... No, about how not bad our defense has been for the last five, six years. It's been bad, but for fuck's sakes, when a ball's hit to someone, they still caught it. They don't even do that anymore. They don't look focused. Biscuit, if you had to put a percentage on your side of the argument here. 40%. For our, look, 40% is uh, significantly higher than I would have. I give them 40% just because I, I don't want them to not succeed. I like, you know, I like the dude. His name's Joe Girardi. My my name is Biscuit, but also Joe Berardi. Like, there's a, it's a lot of fun with the guy, but but um, you know, it, it just hasn't been good. And I'm done. I'm done doing the Philly thing of talking myself into everything that's bullshit. And I'm done doing it with this team. I'm done doing it with the manager. And I'm getting close to being done doing it with the you know. With, with everything with the Phillies right now, it, it's just head scratching. And I, look, it's not all on Girardi, Andrew. To to you know come to come to you know a light agreement with you here. I don't think everything wrong with this team is on Joe Girardi. I I, I don't think that. But this, I, I can't sit here and say consciously that I don't think there's games that I watched him manage this season where I feel like he's personally cost us that game. And there's been about three or four of them. So at the end of the day, it's not all on him. It never is with just one manager. But I'm not going to pretend he's been a difference maker because he hasn't. So we all think we can manage. Biscuit certainly thinks that he can manage this team. Andrew, just the same, thinks that he can manage this team. I know I can manage this team. It is tough, if you're wondering, sitting here and just facilitating a debate and argument. I had so much to say to both of you. And I can't wait to get into that throughout the rest of this year because all of those points and more we will discuss throughout the entire season as our entire bit is so we think that we can manage. This time next week, we will be speaking about an Atlanta Braves series, another off day on a Friday. I have no idea what the hell is going on with the schedule of this Philadelphia Phillies team. And then we see New York Yankees for two games over the weekend before seeing the Dodgers uh, when we are back on the mic with you next week. This is the So You Think You Can Manage podcast. We do not have a Twitter yet. I don't know that we ever will get a Twitter because social media is not exactly anyone's thing with the exception of Andrew. When we do get one, if we do get one, or if we just decide to give it to one of us, it will most likely go to Andrew, the guy who is not even in the state. You can find him on Twitter. It's at AJ underscore Santangelo. You can find Biscuit at Brosif Biscuit. You can find me at Shane underscore Mead. You can tweet at any of us about... Our takes, not just tonight, but any given night on the Joe Girardi takes, as well as Philadelphia Phillies, front office takes, Major League Baseball takes, anything, literally anything. Chat with us. We want to hear from you. 
So you all think you can manage? We'll see you next week.